0: Okay welcome episode nine of down the rabbit hole of heavy metal baseball where we make the attempt to take uh I used to say high level I don't know if it's high level or just different looks at the sport of baseball and softball talk to people who are willing to look at things differently and have a conversation with them and today we have Mississippi State pitching coach Joshua Johnson. Josh how are you today sir?
1: Yeah doing great man it's great to be here. Got done with with off-campus recruiting and now it's uh on campus, get the kids back, and we're ready to roll.
0: Well, appreciate you making time for us. I know when we first started reaching out, uh, it looked like you guys caught a hot streak, and towards uh, the middle of that SEC season, and what like, I was hoping to get this thing done earlier. Good for you guys that I didn't get to because you guys, you guys made a run at it.
1: Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, we had, uh, I tell you what, I mean, I, I felt like we had a good team, and and it was like uh, couldn't have everything clicked at once until we finally figured it out. And uh, I think once the girls, uh, once the girls got a taste of winning, they started to understand, okay, we're, we're a good team. We can do this. And uh, from there on out that, you know, we played great ball, you know, even the games we lost, we played well. So uh, it was fun, you know, it was fun to end that way. So, um, you know, especially at the end of uh, my first sec experience um, it was nice. It was, it was a, it was a real exciting, you know, time to, to be a part of the team. So,
0: yeah. Well, walk us through uh, your bio, and don't, and there's one thing that interests me. I just got, and I don't, I, I hope you won't leave this out. I got, I just recently got uh, certified, uh, Rapsodo, Rapsodo softball certified and you, you play a part in that. Uh, mm-hmm. And you mentioned that you actually threw fast pitch, mm-hmm. uh, you know, walk us through your intro bio uh, up where we are now. And uh, we'll start there.
1: Yeah, so uh, I guess we go back to, you know, how I grew up. My uh, my dad was a pitcher uh, for years and years. Um, and so when I went to the ballpark as a kid, I always went to his softball games. And, you know, I just get to watch. I always have my glove with me just in case, uh, you know, I got the chance to play. Um, you never knew when somebody wouldn't show up and they'd only have eight or whatever. So uh, when I got to college baseball and I was a very mediocre college baseball player, uh, in division three. So, you know, but when I was there, I would come home for summer ball and we'd only have about 20 games on the schedule, you know, and that just isn't enough if you want to get better at a, at a game. So I started to play more fast pitch and, uh, you know, league nights, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, start to get into more and more games pretty sure pretty soon I'm playing over a hundred softball games a year. And then when I got done with, uh, with college baseball, a move full-time into fast pitch started moving up the ranks and you know my goal had always been to play for the national team um so in 2014 20 well 2013 realistically we, um i was put on the national team um we went to new zealand um for the world championships in 2013 uh, 2014 got to go to argentina for the panem qualifiers and then in 2015 Um, played with the national team at both the world championships and the uh, Pan Ams, um, which was a a crazy experience. And now that the Olympics are going on, you know, this is the kind of the similar experience that we had um, in Toronto that year. So, you know, played at the, played at the highest level as long as I could hold on um, started to get old and uh, things, things stopped working as fast as they used to. And uh, so and honestly, I needed to transition as a family member into uh, actual normal life, so um, I got back into Division One coaching, and you know, so I, you know, I enjoyed pitching and playing. Um, I think it it was great for the for the time I, I was there, and helped me see things a little differently. There was a, a lot of people and a lot of guys that I played around that coach. Um, kind of amazing, actually, how many guys that I played with that, that coach now. Uh, but all of us, you know. Well, sorry, none of us really had like a hardcore pitch development coach and all this stuff. We just kicked it around uh, at the park and we learned things from people, um, you know, after the games, before the games. And, you know, that kind of thinking and, you know, it was everybody had a different idea and a different thought process. So kind of fun. It kind of opened my eyes to, you know, kind of the differences and different things we could possibly do. And then from there. You know, uh, as far as a, as a coach, I think I just got better and better just because, um, you know, I never, never was able to settle into this is a thing and this is the way you do it and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the bio ever since as a coach. So as a coach uh, started out, uh, uh, a good friend tracked me down at a at a world champ at a club world championships one year and asked if I wanted to come do lessons with him. And so I went to Birmingham, Alabama uh well sorry played in New Zealand for for us a, a winter, I guess winter, our winter there's summer. Uh, played down there for six months. And then uh, when I got back, started doing lessons in Birmingham. Um about 2010, I'm I'm back in Tallahassee working on a PhD in psychology, sports psychology. And then uh got a call from some of the kids I used to do lessons with said, Hey, our our coach just got fired. You should apply for the job. And so that began my college coaching career uh, at Faulkner State. Now it's coastal Alabama, but it was Faulkner State Community College down there. Um, went to Louisiana Lafayette, worked under Mike Lotef, Um, out to UTEP and then Ball State with uh, Megan Bartlett uh, before I got here. So kind of been around, uh, you know, the Rapsodo connection was kind of funny. Uh, our baseball pitching coach, Dustin Glant uh, was, Brian Pages, so the BP's um, college coach back in the day, and he started Glant started telling me about Rapsodo and how cool this was, and how we'd be able to see, you know, uh, get objective data on the on on the spin direction and all this stuff. So I said, let's get it, you know, Coach Bartlett, we need to have this. And lo and behold, I think I was one of the first two college softball coaches to have it, um, and so I got to grow up with it you know i kind of it's like the rap soda unit's kind of been like my little brother the whole time right we we grew up together um you know for for you know through all the tough stuff and all the good stuff and all the bad stuff we you know so it's been kind of fun um and and being on the being at the beginning of it you know you, you can kind of see how things work and and you get a little bit more in depth with it. So, you know, I was lucky enough to get asked by Rob Soto to, to help teach in their certification course, um, which I really enjoyed. It, it helped me look at it differently, too, because I had to really put it to words like, hey, how does this work? Um, you know, I had a lot of college coaches come up to me over the summer, and, you know, kind of ask, hey, how do, how do you get all this stuff to work? And I, said, I don't know. I, this it's I, I guess it's just been so many times and so much. You know, we, we use it every single day that we pitch in the, in, in, you know, in our bullpens and, and we use it most game days and, you know, scrimmages during the fall and anytime we can put it on the field. So, um, you know, stuff like that, but I also got familiar with, you know, all this other tech, just because I think it's, you know, it's kind of like, a, it's kind of like, you know, if, if you're a connoisseur of anything, you know, like, you know, I like, think uh, chocolate, say you're co- chocolate, chocolate connoisseur, you're going to try it all. Right. So you're going to eat every single piece of chocolate you can find. Well, that to me is tech. So, uh, shoot, we jumped in done so many rabbit holes with this, with this stuff. And I mean, I'm sitting around and there's six different iPads around me because <laughs> you need an iPad to run every one of them. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's just part of the fun. And then you dive in and now I'm working on a PhD in, in biomechanics. So, um, you know, just just keep getting deeper and deeper to a hole I can't get out of.
0: Yeah, that, that kind of seems to be the, the state of things. I, uh, it's, uh, I I didn't know how stupid I was until I knew how stupid I was. Um, and once that kind of gets opened, uh, you you're right. You just keep going down, down. What else can I learn? What else can I pick up on? Because uh, if if you are a coach to me, if you've got a heart for athletes, uh, you know there's a part, a big part of me where I look back and the things I've done that were at the time they were they were wrong. I didn't know they were wrong. There's kind of like an oof moment. I can't believe I did that to that kid. Yeah, yeah I can't believe I said that to that kid. And you know, I'm wandering around, sitting around, wondering. They probably think I'm the biggest jackass because you know, and. But I think that is the nature of a desire to learn in part because if you're going to be responsible for an athlete's development, it's I take that person. I know, I'm, I know you do as well. I take yeah. it as an athlete very personal. So. Well, you
1: don't know what you don't know, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's the problem. And, it, uh, you know, funny, just yesterday, we were going down the rabbit hole because uh, we have uh, force plates in our, in our uh, weight room and we use, we use a kind of movement jump to kind of do, you know, I mean, to basically, um, track every single week. And the funny thing is, is, uh, we, we, lock, we, we transitioned, we got a new strength coach this year, and we kind of all looked at each other, like, man, wait, wait a second. Like what, what should we use this for? Um, a good friend of mine with the St. Louis Cardinals. He, I asked him, I said, what do you guys use your force plates for? Or what kind of weight room data would you like to have? Um, and he said, well, you know, I guess you've got to figure out what's important on the field. And once you figure out that, you think, OK, how does that translate to the weight room? And how would you measure that? And I thought, wow, that's that's pretty mind blowing. And so my first thing, of course, you know, we talked about this, too. But um, well, wait a second. There's got to be research articles on on how people use force plates for hitting for golf, for you know, whatever sport that you know we could think of, we just need to go back and look. And so there's your rabbit hole. So then we just jump down it and uh, and try to figure out like what are the most important metrics that we can get off that force plate, and how is it going to help us? You know, what we've noticed is um, on some of the stuff that we do, uh, we see decreases during season, and when we get to a certain level of a little bit scary, we got to back off volume to try and regulate that. And so to me, that that stuff is is important now we don't have them in our hitting facility yet yet um but i know coach ricketts and i are both you know chomping at the bit to to put a big chunk of money in that one so uh, they're they're we're going round and round about upgrading our facility right now so maybe we can slide that in as part of it like man maybe you should put a little little square right here and one over there and and you know so you can put a force plate on there and that'd be cool so,
0: you know, yeah, I was I was asking uh, or telling if I if I had one piece, if I could get one piece right now, uh, obviously your money's no object, blast motion sensors and stuff are becoming more affordable. I don't know if I get a cave vest. I'd want uh, I'd want force plates because I want to see how an athlete interacts with the ground. Mm. And yeah, that's uh, that's that's something I really, really one day hope to be around to learn more about because uh, I can only imagine the information you can get from that. Even like you're saying, you're seeing how the force reduces the course of the season, which is going to form your decision to uh, back off, uh, back off that player or prescribe active rest techniques. Cause you know, you're just losing force. So. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Just like my wife, you picked the most expensive thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a kid. <laughs> But, but, you know, uh, you know, realistically, I, I think, you know, we were talking a little bit beforehand about how, how uh, ankle mobility and stability interacts with the whole rest of the body. And, and it, I mean, what's the best way to tell that objectively is how you're transfer, transferring force or using the force from the ground, um, you know, throughout the motion. One of the things that was really cool that I started to dig into um this past year was, uh, on energy flow. Uh, there, there's, there are about four or five articles now that have been, uh, published on energy flow in pitching and tennis and softball. And one of the things that I kind of, you know, the math isn't that hard. So I thought maybe we could do this with, with using like a 40 motion. Uh, you know, we've had a hard time getting in the lab because of COVID. So maybe we could do it, you know, with that. And, but the problem is, is that a part of that, uh, a part of that uh, that the formula that that those mathematics that it takes to figure that uh, is that ground force. You know, and so you're like, man, what if we just make ground force constant and see what the rest, but you can't, you know, obviously you can't do that. But yeah, I, you know, if you're talking about energy, you're talking about whatever you're going from the ground. Cause it's, right. you know, and unless you're Derek Jeter who can jump and, Use a kinetic chain while in the air.
0: Uh, well, oddly enough, just a complete jump off spring script. If you look at the S two people, they'll tell you that's a lot of softball pitching in general. Is that softball yeah. pitchers have it a lot harder than baseball pitchers because they have to make these movements while in air? Right, to be efficient and, and generate power off of. We uh, the two
1: we we S two and I have a long history of that conversation because we've always said that the kinetic chain starts before you hit the ground. And you know and and some kids it's more obvious than others. I I see pelvic rotation, I see all this stuff before you ever hit the ground. And the best pitchers do more of it than you know, the hardest throwing pitchers I should say. And so to me it's like, well, yeah, but the problem is is that if you ask any of the biomechanists which I have um if you ask those guys, you know, those people, I shouldn't say guys, those people, they all, you know, use foot contact as the beginning of the, of the whole thing. And I'm just going, eh, I don't know.
0: That would, know. Be, that would be, a, yeah, be like a midpoint in the chain. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. It couldn't be the end point. Now, right. That, it, that foot plant similar to a baseball pitcher would drive that. If it's, if it's, if it's well drives it's like hit backwards and aids it in you know, uh, in speed, they're mm-hmm. thinking the same thing. You've got to be on that front foot, push that having the having the ground pushed back into your hip. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, well, you know, I mean, like I, I see hitters. I see uh, Mookie Betts when he hits. He rotate. He externally rotates his front hip before he lands. You know, I see all of major league pitchers externally rotate their front hip before they land. Mm-hmm. We can't say that that isn't the start of the rotation and you know but it's not it's not very clean it's not nice to analyze or to try and um, use data to figure that out so you know until we until we because i mean i i learned this uh you know going through the biomechanics stuff is that it's really hard if you don't have a, a a constant beginning point it's really hard to figure out anything. And that includes when you're not on the ground. So, you know, obviously in softball and in baseball, where, when we pitch, we're on the ground, just not with the foot that we're talking about. And, and so, you know, is it, is it pretty? I don't know. And I, but I think that if we really want to make a big dent in, in how we generate, how we generate the proper, sequencing um to elicit the fastest pitch we can and getting the strongest position we can uh, then i think we have to figure out a way to mark the start of that kinetic chain and i think it's i mean i 100 percent believe and i think uh you know in talking with laura from s2 and krista and and ashley they all believe that this happens before they hit the ground and so you know, now, now, I don't know from there, but.
0: Yeah, that right. starts, right? I know this, now what? And then, yeah, then it's the next uh, two years figuring out now what, after you go, I know this, that chart now, where does it go from here? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people that would listen to conversations like that and they just don't see the point in it, but uh, kind of moving on, you know, right now, Uh, softball is front and center after the world series carries more viewers than uh, college baseball did uh, right into the Olympics uh, which you know the fervor of that point in Japan kind of give us kind of your reading on what is what is the current state of softball as you you see well
1: I mean right now I think um, well I think college softball and USA softball there's a little disconnect there just Number one, you're talking about uh, that was a uh, a pretty old team. I mean, just by the standards of obviously college softball players will always be between 18 and 23 years old. That's just the nature of what we do. And the U.S. national team, um, you know, the average age was probably around 30, which, uh, you know, so there's a a bit of a disconnection. To me, um, you know, I think that – I think the popularity of the game has gotten – you know has gotten good enough where we can establish a a professional league that um that rivals Japan and I just think that um you know I don't know I mean if I I don't complain because I don't have the answer um you know until I find the answer I won't I won't you know throw any stones but um I just think that that's, that's probably the, the difference between us and Japan right now is Japan has a better professional league and uh, that's nothing against athletes unlimited. I, I like what they're doing. Uh, we've, you know, we've had a lot of athletes go that way. Our, our volunteer um, DJ Sanders is, uh, I pitched to her this morning actually, and uh, she's headed up there the next week. And I mean, it's awesome, but that's not getting us closer to where we need to be. And so I think um and and maybe I you know maybe it will uh, you know it's only the second year of that league, maybe that's the way we go. I I don't know, um, but I think if if we can get the best players in our country to play both professionally and on the national team, I think that's going to be the best. So according to the national team, that's where I think we should go. Um, as far as the college game goes, you know I mean I think uh, I think we're in the uh, the best time ever to be a hitting coach and the worst time ever to be a pitching coach. And so like, um, you know, hitting is uh, hitting is, has taken over a little bit or or at least moved ahead of uh, pitching for the, for the time being. And I'm sure there's an ebb and flow, just like there, I mean, major league baseball, that ebb and flow seems to happen every year now, but um, um, you know, we, you know, we, uh, you know, we as a, as a pitching staff you know, in a, as a group of pitching coaches, I think we're, we're in a place where we can make a big jump, but we've, we've got a little work to do. So, you know, I mean, it's just the way it works. You know, this is, it's not fun going into games and going, man, if we, if we give up four or less, that's awesome. And you're sitting there going, like, man, (laughs) that, that standard to, you know, 10 years ago would have been like, absolutely. No, like, that's a bad standard. But right now, you know, when I go face a, you know, we go face Oklahoma, if we give up four runs, we're like, man, we can maybe win that game, you know? Yeah. And you're going, but that's a, that's a pretty crazy standard. You know? I mean, that's, it just shows like what Odyssey Alexander did to them was so amazing, you know? And then, and with some of those teams and with some of those pitchers were able to do, but obviously um, their ability to continue to keep going, you know, overwhelmed everybody. They, they were real
0: remarkable and one of the things coaching younger kids, and I'm sure as kids come into y'all's program, one thing that I have a hard time with younger kids explaining them is as the level increases, your opportunities to have them mess up are less. Mm-hmm. The better the pitching is going to be, you may only see one good pitch the entire night. Uh, and, you know, if we were playing a lower-level ball, a guy may mess up two or three times in a bat or mm-hmm. they mess up. Um, and, show, and I mean, it shows you how dialed in they were this season because they did not, as a kid, we played, we coached for a long time, a little bit, they didn't miss the miss, which was a, uh, we'll say, Mason Gilbert's famous quote, don't miss the miss. But you're right, you know, It's to, to watch to watch those teams compete, I watched most every one of those games, it was good television. Uh, that team, if, if you, could, you could do real well for six things, make one mistake, and mm-hmm. then pay for that mistake.
1: So. Yeah. And that's old school softball. You know, I, honestly, when I, when I, when I was playing um, we had this interesting shift well over my career where it went from, you know, when I first got into the major level fast, pitch, I was on a team ranked 16th and I hit top three um, for them, depending on they moved me out of the two hole. Cause they said I couldn't bunt um, which you know, I guess I must have proven that over time. But uh,
0: yeah, Me and Robert was saying that's the nicest thing anyone ever seen. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> well, you know, so, um, but you went, but what was weird is you went from, you went from, you know, you had the same amount of guys playing, but you had less and less teams. So as a pitcher, you went from, okay, I could coast through six through nine. Well, now I can only coast through eight and nine. And now I can't coast at all. I mean, I faced a lineup one time. <laughs> You're sitting there going like, I don't uh, – you be, you guys better ground out or something because I don't I don't see this going well um, for me just because you, you just didn't have any breaks. You just didn't have a, a single guy in there, and you'd hope that one of them is off that day uh, or something. But, you know, you'd have these teams that were just so loaded. And that was – I mean, shoot, that was my team. You know, by the end of it, we, uh, you know, my last year with the California A's, we finished fourth in the world, and, and you're going, I mean, we're loaded. We're loaded till 12 on the bench. There's, you know, so um, we – you know, you're starting to see some of that in college softball where, you know, 7, 8, and 9 are tough batters. The SEC is loaded like that. That's where I think the, the league itself is so intense is that you've got 8, 9 batters that can just drop bombs. And, and you're going, well, maybe they won't get a hit every time, but they might, you know, we go face Missouri and their eight batter. It's a bomb in the first game that, that, that puts it away. And you're going, that's the eight batter, you know, the rest of the batters are actually, you know, their stats are 10 times better than that guy, that, that girl. And, and she just dropped a bomb on us. So we knew that, you know, and that's, but that's the, that's kind of the, the state of the game right now is the hitting is, is deep and, you know, as pitchers, we're just going to have to find, we're just going to have to get better. You know?
2: where, where do you think that that comes from that? I mean, I remember watching softball when I was a kid and it was very common to see like one, nothing games all the time. And now all of a sudden, you know, it, it, you, like you said, hitting's kind of, kind of leading the way right now. Like where'd that transformation come from?
1: I think. Okay. So I think part of it's an ebb and a flow of, of the state of any game. Uh you know, I remember growing up and everybody ran the football and now everybody passes the football. I remember growing up when as a quarterback, you always had to lead your wide receiver, right? Now I was a master at throwing it on the back shoulder, but the wide receivers never adjusted. That's because I threw it behind everybody, right? Well, now that's how you throw, you know, and, and, and I think that, I think that, as, as we are right now, we're just, you know, the the hitters have trended up and uh, pitchers haven't adapted quite yet. I think that's part of it. I think the, the better athletes are hitting now instead of pitching used to be your best athlete was on the mound. And, and, you know, you had people like Lisa Fernandez and, uh, and Kehlani Ricketts who are just, I mean, they're, they're doing it all. I mean, Kailani comes and hangs out once in a while and you're like, man, I wish I was like you. <laughs> you, know. like she's a phenomenal athlete. And, and you sit there and go, okay, well, but I, I I wonder if a lot of those kids have decided they don't want to pitch anymore. They just want to be beasts in the field. And I've seen a couple of, couple of kids that, uh, you know, I've been following for a long time and recruiting and, and they used to be pitchers and now they're not, you know, and they used to be good pitchers, you know, and now they're not, they want to play the outfielder or, or, you know, shortstop or something like that. And so I don't know, maybe some of it's, uh, you know, there's more glory to hitting than there is to pitching, Um, which, you know, I mean, not according to media, but, you know, it's kind of the way it is. I think, you know, I think we've, uh, you look at like Major League Baseball, right? I mean, there's more home runs than ever, but there's also a lot more strikeouts than ever. And even they even had to change the ball and make sure that the pitchers couldn't use external grip stuff um, to fix it. And I think that, you know, a lot of that comes from development. I I think a lot of it just comes from, okay, these kids have learned, or these, uh, these pitching coaches have learned to develop their players, not only physically, but also uh, pitch development, but, you know, all these other things. And, you know, that's got now pitching in major league baseball is ahead of the hitting. And that's just, I mean, shoot the, the league average and, in April was something like two thirty, something ridiculously low. And, and you go, but that, that, like I said, it's the state of the game. And so I don't think that any, you know, all is lost. I just think that, you know, now we we've got to start to like relook at the way we train players and develop players and start to come up with some new ideas that work. And I think there'll be a day when the pitching comes back and is ahead of the hitting. You know? I mean, the launch angle, uh, you know, revolution spawned throwing high in the zone. You know, so you know, I think I find the one thing interesting is that not all the hitting has switched over like that in softball. So you'll still have kids that kind of chop down. And when we start talking about, you know, throwing different types of pitches, you know, chopping down and the ball is great for rise balls. You know, and that was why I think a lot of teams did that, you know, back in the day because the rise ball dominated. You know, well, you throw a drop ball to that person and they're going to struggle. So I think uh, probably one of the biggest problems is is having kids be able to work up and down in the zone so that they can handle both types of hitters and you know throw a change-up or you know develop pitches that are elite one of the biggest things we have right now is we have a whole bunch of players that don't have one that that don't have at least one elite pitch that spins properly and so I mean that's what that's what I'm seeing and you know when I'm out evaluating and doing all this stuff so you know uh maybe maybe we've gotten down to the maybe we've gone to try to develop too many pitches and yeah, i don't know but you know obviously it's part of uh, what i'm trying to fix and and fix for us right here and trying to trying to go the tech route to figure it all out i think
2: i mean you mentioned the pitch thing like we've had some girls come in and throw with us and it's like it seems like every single one throws six different pitches Instead of just having two or three really
1: good ones, right, right,
0: yeah. or a or a young lady says, "I'm here to throw my drop curve this week." You know, yeah, if we can establish a fastball or, or maybe just a decent changeup, let's we'll start there because you've got six pitches, but you don't have you don't have two good pitches. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, yeah, and I, I mean I think the yeah the hard part is um, well I was having this conversation with a with the a guy earlier um talking about why just giving spin rate in an evaluation isn't good enough in softball and it's because spin direction is queen i guess you could say and and most pitchers throw without the understanding of good spin direction Uh, i did a camp with uh, pete meredith who's uh the pitching coach at BYU. And he said, you know, and I I agree with him, 99.6% of all pitchers don't even watch the spin of the ball, let alone know what it's supposed to look like. And, you know, and and it's pretty hard to know if your ball is spinning properly, if you don't even look at it. So I think that's part of the, part of the thing and part of the issue. And, uh, and yeah, I, I think also, you know, there's this uh, rush to have more when, you know, I, I think you've probably thrown kids on a rap soto and found out that they really only have two pitches, and that's if they're lucky. You know, um, and yeah, I think cleaning cleaning up a pitch pitch mix is is usually the first thing that anybody can do to to make a player
0: better. Just you mentioned that in your in your rap soto training, which was really useful for, for what I was looking at, is if we have this type of spin, then this probably should be the pitches we go after. this type of spin, this is the type of uh, spin we should go after. And then athletes in the field, you talk to them and they say, well, I've got these three pitches. And knowing what you know, you go, well, those three pitches are working against each other based on the direction of the spin you put on the ball. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, that, that, that kind of leads into one thing is because I've got a a friend of mine who's got a daughter who's got an eye towards playing college softball. She's going to be a, a sophomore throwing uh, about 60 miles an hour, and he asked me to ask you is, you know, he doesn't understand the value behind this 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 stuff right now. I don't think a lot of people do. What's the value of these Rapsoda readings, and what is it uh, that you wish that, you know, high school coaches, facility directors, and stuff like that knew to look for, to send people like you or alert people like you that hey, we've got something here that's worth exploring? Mm-hmm. Well,
1: I mean – first of all the, the thing and this is the hardest part the disconnect between recruits parents and the college world is that the biggest the biggest problem is is 60 doesn't get anybody out anymore like that that isn't going to work mm-hmm. um, it's it's fine and dandy to be a 60 mile an hour thrower and, and that was a really nice thing to look at in high school it's an objective measure of getting, excuse me getting better but Right, you know, right now, if you're throwing 60 miles an hour, you have to have good spin efficiency in order to make it work, and and that's the biggest problem. I mean, the biggest disconnect is that people don't understand the level of softball when they get to here, because it. I mean, and honestly, I think most people just aren't fan. They aren't good enough fans to look at it and say, okay, you know, um, you know, most people know that Jacob DeGrom has hundred mile an hour fastball with great, great ride. And a, I mean, just absolute filthy wipeout slider. Right. Right. But what is, what does G have? Like what is G getting everybody out of? And the problem is, is that, you know, we, we don't define that. Right. So she throws a rise ball that kind of curves. I don't know if you call that a curve rise. It doesn't matter. It, it moves up and it curves. So that's great pitch. She also throws an off-speed that does exactly the same thing. So she can tunnel that. She can EV that, right? Um, You know, she throws a drop change. Well, a change that drops, I should say. So, you know, understanding that that's the tunnel that made her great. So she threw 64 to 66 with that rise through like 58 with that off-speed. And then the change-up was more like, uh, you know, 50. Well, that's what we're talking about. If you just come in and throw a 60, that is not gonna do the job, right? You know, and that's and that's the thing. Why is it important? Because you gotta know what you're trying to get to. And the sad, you know, the hard part is like, you know, I've got two two little boys and they're nowhere near uh, you know, getting into competitive baseball yet, but they love what they they love playing in the backyard and that's great. But I already know what it's gonna take my son, Jake, to be a good pitcher and, you know, in, and be a major league level pitcher because we have that standard, you know, he's going to have to throw that thing with 20, what, 2,400 RPMs as a fastball with, you know, 95 to hundred percent spin efficiency in order for that to work at, at 90 plus, you know, 92, 93 miles an hour. And that's what we're going to aim for. I don't think people, I don't think a lot of uh, a lot of the people we come across in recruiting understand that fact. And the people that do, they get recruited easily, you know, but the people that don't, and they walk in, they're like, man, I've never thrown on a soto." Well, here you go. Let's find out. And I mean, college coaches are ahead of that game. They know, they know what it looks like and it looks like strikeouts and that's, you know, dominating high school ball, that doesn't, that doesn't move the needle. You know, dominating travel ball. I mean, we you know, I, I, I think everybody that went to the PGF this year, the Nationals, would, would agree that there were two or three dominant pitchers out there in the 18U. And that's it. There were some very, very good pitchers. Don't get me wrong. There were some pitchers that did a really good job and pitched well. But, like, lockdown dominant. And, I, you know, one of our pitchers was out there. And um, she's been closing all summer, and and she threw great. But, you know, is she throwing 65, 66 yet? No, she will be. And she's got some elite things on the spin rate and on spin direction that that we're going to be able to work with. So she's going to be a great pitcher for us. And it's like, you know, but is she going seven innings right now? No, I mean, part of that's over. No. got over in high school. But um, but yeah, I, you know, I think that, I think that one of the things that I really wish people knew more about was what is the standard? Like what, you know, and the rap soda is where we measured that standard. And so why do you need it? Well, and you know, you know, who doesn't like the rap soda is people that find out that they don't move the ball at all. That's the people that don't like it. It's just like, you know, like if I walk in the weight room, right. If I walk in the right room, there's certain things I don't like to do, hashtag lunges, because I'm not good at lunges and I don't have very good hip mobility and it hurts, right? But I'll get under a bench press all day long because I'm not that strong at a bench press, but it never hurts. And that's the same And that's the same thing people go with. I mean, think, everybody goes for what they're good at. You know, everybody goes for what they're good at. And so the thing is, is that, you know, are you willing to look at it and say, okay, uh i'm not that good at that so i'm gonna you know i'm gonna try and spin it better i'm gonna try and do it but you don't again we're going back to we don't know what we don't know so first time those kids get on a Rap rapsodo and they find out man i really only have one pitch that should be a that should be uh an enlightenment but most kids it's like oh my goodness i've been working so hard because my pitching right. coach told me that ball dropped it doesn't you know and it doesn't.
0: And so yeah, that's, that's been the that's been the thing with Robert and I, and we haven't we don't have nearly enough softball players as much as I'd like. But with the baseball players, you could coach. I've got a wicked curveball. Let me see it. No, no, you don't, son. a wicked curveball, um, coach. I have a great changeup. Okay, let me see it. No, you have a less fast fastball. You don't have a good changeup. Um, and there's a good portion of them that go. You can see they will. They you can see they won't say it out loud. Well, I'm not coming back here, right? I'm going to go seek out the guy that says, "No, kid, that's a, that is a nasty changeup." And he even said this to your point to a couple of guys. Said, "Listen, uh, it's a good curveball." Well, how do you know it's a good curveball? Well, it gets guys out. Well, it gets guys out at your current level, but you know you 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 know you've stated that you want to be a next level pitcher, and I'm here to tell you that won't get guys out at the level above your you're at right now. Mm-hmm. you show up there at the showcase wherever it is and you throw that curveball to the next level kid better duck yeah uh, and and you're right it, it's uh, it's a place for hard truths but you know i I've always been, been the elite athletes will take hard truths
1: mm-hmm.
0: that may be a differentiator too um, so kind of listen to what you have to say is what is the importance that this data plays in your recruiting um, when you go to the perfect game do you is, is the eye test as important as it used to be? Is the well, ERA as important as it used to be? So one of the things
1: that, well, <laughs> well, we've been coming across, right? I think the most of what we've been coming across is do you look at the pitcher in their first game of the day or the weekend or in the fifth game of the weekend? Um, the problem with, with, I think, a lot of the big teams kind of overlooked pitching a little bit and they don't have a very deep team so by the third fourth game the pitcher you know a lot of those pitchers have thrown in every single one of those games their best pitcher and so they're gassed so what do you take Do do you do you take the uh the 65 with you know 1300 spin and and you know struck out the first three batters or do you take the you know do you look at the kid that was throwing 61 and getting a lot of fly balls that were ended up being home runs sometimes you know the hard part we've had is that you know the pitching depth and then just getting overthrown like left and right is is just been crazy so how does it play a role well i mean if we want to know like what the that pitcher's best foot forward would be then i think you know having that data there's a lot of different companies out there that are starting to provide that. I, I think uh, the, the RAP score is gonna start to be more popular. They need more data, which is, I, I think what Rap is going for, is to get more kids on, on the RAP score so they have more data to show people. But, you know, of course, here's the problem with the RAP score, you know, is that it actually shows you where you are. <laughs> and not everybody wants to know that. Um, but, uh, but I think, I, I, to me, it plays a huge role. Cause like, here's the deal, right? We need pitchers that miss bats, right? So if I get the data and I look at it, I'm like, okay, I like this. This is, there's a lot of movement here. Now, when I go out and watch that kid pitch, how's it going? You know, is she, is she able to miss bats? You know, can she locate those good pitches? Uh, or is it just all over the place? You know, I mean, does she have a plan for anything and not to say that we can't develop that that's a pretty low hanging fruit if we, if we get there, but the reality is if you can't execute it now, like how hard is it going to be, you know, when you get here to execute a, a pitch? Um, and then is it consistent, you know, like, can, can we count on your rise ball or is it sometimes great and sometimes not great? Um, those are the things I think when we go out to, to visually analyze, but to me, it's like the the rap sort data in, in any data like spin rate data or whatever we're getting has to be has to be kind of the beginning um, of the whole deal. And I wish I mean shoot I wish every pitcher was on a rap unit so that I knew um, just here's the kids go watch them. That'd be the best. <laughs>
0: right. And
1: when that world happens, just let me know. Well, concerned. I mean, like,
0: case in point, would could somebody – and this, this is the question I sometimes get asked. Right? Especially for people who are slow adopters of these technologies, right? Uh, I had one dad, we threw his daughter, and I was showing him some things. She did well. She was a really efficient left-handed pitcher. And he, he deadpan looked at me and said, how does this make my daughter better? And I think I was taken aback that that was the question that was asked. I think I, I think I just kind there. Of shook my head for about thirty seconds, but for that for that dad, he wants the best for his daughter. He just doesn't. Understand yeah. Or is, you know, is that is that is that a foot in the door where he sends? He says, "Hey, you know, my daughter wants to go to Mississippi State. I consider the Rapsodo package, and if it's good enough, you'll come. You'll come watch her. It's, mm-hmm. it's sometimes as simple as that. There's a coach I like or a university I like, and here's a Rapsodo package." And if I have time to come through and I like it, I'll drive to wherever and take a look.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that's to me, like, and this is the thing, right? That dad probably doesn't want his kid coming here because that's exactly what we're gonna do, and 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 that's fine. But if a kid sends me Grab Soto data and it's it's legit, then I'm gonna come watch. Like, then then that's like, you know, it used to be, coach we'll call you up and say, I got a six foot tall pitcher come watch and used to be that that was one of the objective measures that people would use. And so, uh, I still give everybody a hard time for doing that because of well, six foot tall. Okay. And so what? And then, and then it became, and then it became, I got a six foot tall pitcher that's throwing 60, you know, okay. Then everybody'd show up. Right. Um, but if a kid, you know, if a kid emailed me, um, uh, not, a screenshot, like I can't stand the screenshot of the one pitch you threw that did something great. But if you send me a Rap Soto report and it says that I've got a drop ball that's negative 10 on a on a, um, on a movement matrix, I'm coming to watch that. And I'm gonna see if that's, if that's playing out. Because if, if I see all ground balls and swings and misses on that, then that kid's a, a kid I want, right? And so, to me, it seems like the easiest way, because if you send that out to fifty coaches, which a lot of kids email fifty or more coaches, and they send that out to fifty coaches, the coaches you want to pitch for are coming to get you, because they're the ones that already get it, right? Um, and that, and that, to me, is the part of the point. You know, like we we talk about. It, it's, I mean, recruiting is a lot like fishing, right? You want to catch a northern pike. You got to throw out certain lure, right? And you throw that out five hundred times, you probably aren't going to catch a bass on that thing, but you might catch the northern pike you're looking for, right? Now, if I throw out a bass lure, I might catch thirty bass, you know. Now, here's the and and this is the thing: like when we when we're sitting there doing that, I want you know what I want. So if I throw out that lure and I say this is the this is what I'm looking for, and I talk to the smart people that know that that know what I'm talking about. Not only are those kids going to be more apt to want to come here because they, they like what I like, um, but then on top of it, um, there's an expectation that's already already done with. We don't have to worry about it, you know. Um, the, the, you know, the two kids we, we uh, well, the, the girl that's coming in, she's been on a rap soda many times, you know. She's already signed and committed here. She'll be here in a couple of weeks couple weeks she already knows like that's that's awesome you know now we don't have to have the conversation why you know you know that dad might never want to come here because he knows that that's that's how we're going to measure his daughter and that's which is fine
2: i had a question you kind of touched on it uh, on on workload Uh, and i know baseball uses like modus to measure workload like what does softball have anything i know modus did a softball sensor at one point. I don't know if it's still active, but what what do you guys use to monitor workload? Uh, like I was a high school coach and teacher for, for 10 years, and I remember the girls coming into class and they were just telling us how many innings they pitched over the course of a weekend tournament, and it always blew my mind that there was no pitch limit in high school softball.
1: Right. Yeah, so, um, you know, MODIS still works for softball, and you can use it. Uh, we We also use Polar um to measure you know the overall workload of the thing because you know like the one thing cool about modis is it's a great for pitch counting but it's not like I can count pitches and know what a, what a player's overall workload was what we try to pay attention to because because this is the thing to me like in baseball they have kind of a standard for number of pitches per week or per per outing or whatever um, and that's great for the modus. For us, I'm more looking at like, okay, well, most co- most softball pitchers can handle more than that. So what I try to do, we we use a um, the force plates in the weight room uh, and a hand dynamometer to measure where the CNS workload is. And if we're seeing that the CNS isn't firing all that great that day um, through those two devices, then then that's when we kind of ramp down, right? But you know, from the start of the time they get here until uh, the end of the season, we're kind of ramping up workload as as best we can and as consistently as we can full time. Um, and it's really based on the player. Like we, we have, a, a, you know, one of our girls just loves to throw and throw and throw and throw and throw. And, throw. and so we're going to let her do it, you know, as long as, as long as those factors are, are fine. Uh, there's going to be other kids where I'm going to really limit them because they don't handle workload very well. Um, the more athletic, a kid is and that doesn't mean how tall they are more athletic they are um they tend to handle more stuff but you know kind of like you guys we're 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 focused on how they move and if we can get them to move properly then we can handle a a much greater workload i mean i mean to my own fault last year we we never i mean it's kind of it's kind of interesting that we measure it this way but we didn't have we didn't miss a single pitching practice in the fall because of injury not one we didn't have a single kid get injured in the fall as pitchers, and I have eight of them. The only kid that that got that had any time missed um, hurt herself before she even got here, so that doesn't count. Uh, and then we lost one girl. The the we had one pitcher who got hurt in warmups, doing a change of direction drill and rolled her ankle. Outside of that, I think we only missed three days of pitching total amongst eight pitchers, and. You know, when you start to look at that, we're going, okay, well, that's, I mean, that's great news, but we probably could have pushed the limit more and a couple of the girls want to, so we're going to, and we're going to try and find the sweet spot of like, how much can we work and maintain our health while still, you know, ramping up to what we're capable of. I mean, I kind of think along the lines of more Trevor Bauer than I do, uh, I don't know, whoever the opposite of Trevor Bauer is. Um, was, uh, uh, guy for the Rays now with the Padres and not doing so well, Blake Snell. So Blake Snell last year, they, they limited him every single game, including the world series where they, you know, famously pulled him after six innings, um, and, or after, you know, in the third time through the lineup and, you know, Bowers of the belief that if I train my body to handle 130 pitches a game, then I'm going to do it. And I, I, I like that, um. I'm not saying we need to throw 600 pitches a week, um, you know, especially in the fall, like I think fall is quality over quantity anyway, but, um, you know, if we can handle that, um, I think the workload, the workload is really so individual that I don't know that there's a standard. I can just say, Hey, this is what we do. Um, we tend what not your, to,
0: what's your that recovery? What are your recovery methods for your
1: pitches? Um, so, realistically, we we monitor days off. We like to get we like to make sure that we don't go high intent with without having a day off in between. Um, so, if we're going to scrimmage, we we pretty much give them the day off the day before. Um, and in the fall, that pretty much looks like nothing. They do nothing that day. Um, in the spring, that'll be more like oh, we'll do some PFPs, move around a little bit, um, but. But, you know, maybe do some team defense and backup, backup. that's it. Um, you know, but again, that's more of a, a workload kind of thing. You know, we're, we're ramped up for that by that time of the year. So it's okay. And the pitchers are fine with it. Um, so that's kind of how we, you know, and, and as far as like recovery stuff, we have a, a post-throwing program. We do a recovery program on our, our active recovery days off.
0: Um, we, does that mirror kind of the driveline stuff or similar?
1: Yeah, similar. It's all adapted, right. Cause it's a translation, but, um, similar, like same kind of philosophy, just obviously different ways of doing it. Um, and then we handle a lot of it in the weight room. So a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that we do, uh, say for instance, like, you know, last year, what we do is like, we were toward the end of the season getting into some big rotational med ball throws. Um, And so, you know, we go in the weight room, we do anti-rotation, you know, a lot of anti-rotation exercises that help us balance that. And I think that that's kind of the key. You know, we find out how the players move by the end of the year, honestly, our kids move so well. I mean, on base, you, like we would have some kids go through the whole on base, you screen and not fail anything. And you're going, well, now what do I do? Right Now you just, you're going for it. Right. Like, and so, um, so I, you know, I think that personally, it's just an individual monitoring thing and and some kids need the whole day off and we give them the whole day off. Some kids need to jump in an ice bath because they feel like that's good. Then that's fine too, but we kind of monitor it. We do a lot of, uh, we take a, on our off days, we do a lot of mental training. Um, we try to do a lot more than we normally do, although I believe it has to be done every day. Um, I think, uh, um you know, I like to I like to get the girls moving to get the blood flowing on on days off. So do a little bit more active recovery than most, but not just cardio. I just I don't do the cardio thing. I think if we're gonna do it, we're gonna do it where you're in the same positions as you would normally be in pitching. It's just different things, you know. And I haven't done a ton of games. I'm probably I'm probably lacking on the game department. Um, but I'd like to get into that stuff more. And, you know, I, I learned the value. um, I think it was on a uh, uh, ahead of the curve podcast where I learned the value of, uh, of hacky sack. Our girls love hack. They love, they think it's the best thing ever. And it actually, you know, you really think about it. You're internally, externally rotating the hips. You're flexing the hips. You're extending the hips. Like I can't think of a better way to actively, actively, actively recover um, you know, the lower body. And so it's stuff like that. I don't, you know, that, that I used to be like, man, that's kind of annoying to yeah, go for it, you know, have, have a blast. So, yeah. But I don't think, you know, like we have some specific post throwing stuff and all that, but realistically I think it's keep moving and keep it general.
0: we got a couple more before we get out and I appreciate your time because the, any, any softball, well, our most listened to podcast was with Megan and Dan, so maybe you can give them a run for their money. seems that heavy metal baseball should probably just go heavy metal softball. <laughs> it was good for them. Probably a lot less pushback. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. But, uh, you know, the question I asked Megan and this question I'll ask you and the question I asked Dan is, what do you think the future of softball is? Uh, where can this sport go and where is it currently headed?
1: Well, um, honestly, first of all, I, I think that where should it go and where is it going to go are two different things. But um, I, think it, I think we're heading towards, the, uh, we'll put it this way, a lot of the old school coaches that I talk to, and then quote unquote, in the, that's in air quotes, right? Old school coaches that I talk to are really interested in a more data driven approach. And they're starting to hire people, whether it be volunteers or um, or director directors of player development, that kind of stuff, who are dedicated to that part of the game, because there's certain things in coaching that will never go away. The mindset is never going to go away. Um, the fundamentals of catching and throwing and hitting are never going to go away. Base running, never all, all this, the basic stuff that we've done, it, it is not going to go away, but could we do it better and stay healthier in the process? Sure. Right. And so I, I really think, and I mean, this is me being a very skewed person when it comes to this, but I think that a, a, a more data driven approach is, is coming. I think uh, a lot of people are finding ways to Uh, you know, to, to get themselves more educated on that level, on the strengthening side and strengthening side on the psychology side, um, you know, in, in all these are just different rabbit holes. Anybody can go down. And as people do it, they start to find more and more things that can really help. Um, I think that now that we're getting more and more research and we're getting more and more technical with it, people are starting to really go, I mean, you know, the convention, um, the National Fast Pitch Coach Association of convention in Chicago. The amount of people that showed up for Elite Baseball's uh, presentation, which was off script, but it wasn't, was insane. I mean, 150 coaches because people want to know. People want to know how all this is going to affect their game and they want to be a part of it. I don't, you know, I think everybody's different at the level they jump in at. But I think if, um, you know, as people start to get more and more, accustomed to all this there you know you're going to start to see more of them and and i i told every young coach um well i wrote a book about it i don't know if you knew that but uh yeah i wrote a book about this but every young coach has to be on that level like you don't want to be old school you know it's it's like if i were to go if i were to go um to the park in skinny jeans like people would laugh me out of the bill because i'm old i don't belong in skinny jeans i'm not skinny so, you know, it's, it's like you got to kind of, you got to be in your lane. And I think that the younger players are, you know, not only understand this a little bit better, but they're, they're, they should be interested in it. I think if they get into it, they're, they're going to offer a lot to a new program that, uh, or to a program that that may or may not be interested in the data driven approach. And I think that, um, you know, I think that's important. So that's where I, you know, I think that we're headed. I think that we should be, gearing ourselves toward trying to build this bigger. To me, to me, my job outside, of, you know, as a player development specialist, is to get kids ready for the next step in their lives. And that, and one of the things that I feel like is super huge, and what we do well here, is that the players that that graduate from our program are ready to move on to the next step in their life because they, because of the mindset stuff that we work on, because of the culture stuff that we work on. And that to me is so important. I, you know, just like, I don't want my sons living at home until they're 30. I, I don't want my kids hanging around our program, wishing they still played uh, forever either. And I want them to be able to move on. But I, I, would, I wish, I wish there was something, uh, you know, a professional league that we could really legitimately, you know, put on TV. And I'm not saying it's going to take the place of uh, major league baseball, but it could definitely be as popular as the WNBA uh, or more so. I mean, I really believe that. And I think that um, I would really love to see the organization of a better professional league or, you know, sorry, a substantial, I shouldn't say better a substantial professional league in our, in our country. Um, And so because right now, I mean, the best experience you can have is to go overseas and play, because it's basically a free, free tour of Europe or a free tour of Japan. Um, but the players that play in Japan, I mean, they get paid a ton of money. So it'd be cool to see that 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 become the thing. Um, right now, I think we, I think right now, I hope that the next step is is for the pitchers start to get the advantage again, for us to develop. Pitchers to the level where we're starting to dominate again, and then hitters have to adjust again. So, um, that might be a dream more than where I think it's going. But um, obviously, that's what we're working for, and I'm hopeful that it gets there.
0: Mr. you got any questions? No, I, I don't have anything else. <laughs> we covered a lot. Josh, yeah. I appreciate it. I really do. Taking time out of your day for. And the famous saying is Dilbert's, two Dilbert's in the Texas Panhandle, uh, and, 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 and talking to us and, and speaking as freely as we have, because hopefully, uh, hopefully you know, the understanding of, of how this data and this tech is tying into softball, the Power 5 softball, SEC softball, um, begins to alert some of these parents that the, the world's rapidly shifting underneath their feet. You know, the, the grounds are shifting, and, you mentioned this. I, I mentioned this to a handful of players I had. I think it's pretty exciting for a guy like me who's not 6'4", 250, who never passes the eye test. Um, the way the data plays now, um, I think it was Co- I think it was Megan that told me, you know, a softball that gets hit 280 feet doesn't stop halfway outside the stadium and go, who hit me? Sure. And then if the person who hit you happens to be 5'3", drops to the ground. hmm thing if, if i'm 5'2 and i can sling the ball 67 the softball doesn't care and so i think it's a pretty exciting time for uh kids who normally get looked over in the old in the old school way of scouting uh because data becomes reign supreme but uh the begins to take over but a lot of good information for a lot of parents who are interested or think they're interested in that next step and uh you, me, and Robert, even you know, off script, uh, what we we're talking about some of the central nervous system and neuroscience on how the brain interacts. I'd like to stay up with you on that, because mm-hmm. for me and Robert are in our kind of stuff is, is figuring out that interplay between the brain and the body. Uh, don't want to go into it here because nobody wants to hear that. We've learned that the hard way and the interplay between the brain and the body flow state, uh, which you know goes to your mental side of conditioning, flow state theories, and how much better we can make athletes uh, going forward. Just you know, keep the lines of communication open because I always like talking to guys like you who are uh, one willing to share and, and two got a, a good head on your shoulders. So thank you.
1: Well, and just for everybody out there that that's worried about the term data, because I think this happens right. The the term data gets thrown around so much and. Number one, I think people think it's sabermetrics, which it is not. So, just the beginning of that. But number two, I think there are a couple of things that that were the most important data that we we had all year. Um, and it was how much sleep did you get, right? How many how many meals did you eat today, right? How do you feel on a one to five scale, like personally? How are you doing? I I think. Those things. What's your mood like? That's data, and can be tracked. And even if it's a it's a it's a subjective measure, it, it's it's one of those things. And I think people number one, people in data, uh, they they sometimes forget uh, the personal connection between all that. But then second of all, I think people that aren't you know really familiar and are a little bit uncomfortable with the data can start just by asking, "Hey, how you doing? You know, how do you feel today? You know." How's your mom? How's your dad, right? How's your pet? Those are the kind of things that I think people forget are data points, right? And I think that the more we start to pay attention to that stuff, and I I mean, I showed my girls a trend of all the post-pitching questions that I asked them. I showed them a trend over the course of the year, and they were baffled. They were like, I didn't know you paid that much attention. And part of it, I said, well, shame on me for not letting you know that I look at every single one of these with as much passion as I do your rap Soto, um, movement matrix. I said, because it's as important to me as how, about how you feel today as it is how much your ball is moving. And so, yeah, don't be afraid. I I think, you know, for a lot of people, don't be afraid to to start there, right? (laughs) If you're collecting data, do I feel good today? Yes or no. Do I, am I happy? Yes or no? Those are, those are some important things, right? Um, And, you know, when it comes to metrics, uh, when it comes to recruits, you know, we'd like to talk about all these spin things or whatever Uh, the two biggest and most important metrics are grade point average and test scores, right? Because we don't have 24 scholarships. We have 12. And so, you know, just understanding that as part of what we're doing, uh, I think, um, I can i think can be huge so yeah don't be afraid and you know anybody out there that really wants to connect with me um you know all the socials are fine email is fine it's not hard to find um you know connect with me i'd love to talk
0: well oh, thank you thank you very much all uh, right everything that
1: was awesome yeah thanks guys yeah uh, it was fun